0: Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Dyer, and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, February the 9th. There is a lot to digest at the end of this week after the Supreme Court hearing yesterday regarding whether former President Donald Trump should be included in our Colorado presidential primary ballot when we vote in just three and a half weeks. For some insight, perspectives, and discussion, let's introduce our panel. Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward. Also, David Kopel, research director at the Independence Institute. Marion Goodland, chief legislative reporter with Colorado Politics and the Colorado Springs Gazette, as well as Alton Dillard, a communications consultant and former Denver elections spokesperson. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, the US Supreme Court has heard the arguments now from both sides regarding the Colorado Supreme Court ruling that found that Donald Trump should not be on our primary ballot based on his involvement in the attack on the US Capitol, January 6 of 2021. Patty, let's start with you.
1: Well, I'm no lawyer, but I was glued to the set, even though you couldn't watch the action, but CNN showed the justices as they questioned the lawyers. It was so much more fun than, say, when we were, Colorado was last in the big limelight at the Supreme Court for Amendment 2 when we were labeled the hate state. And now instead we looked like an independent group. I mean, when you look at the plaintiffs, not just Krista Kafer from this table, but Norma Anderson, such an amazing woman, Republican, lawmaker, just a lifelong great public servant. So you look at the people representing Colorado, why they were questioning Trump's involvement in January 6th, a lot more, obviously, than the Supreme Court did. They didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the January 6th aspects, but it made Colorado look independent questioning, and I think pretty good. It's too bad we're not going to win, judging by how the Supreme Court responded, but it did look like a valid case, that, and I'm glad they put it forward.
0: I'm so curious to hear your thoughts, David.
2: Well, I think I agree with Patty that Mm -hmm. that it was a valid case. It wasn't some ridiculous thing. But as we've talked about before, for the Norma Anderson and Krista Kafer side to win, they had to run the table on a bunch of issues where their side, it's it's, it's maybe a 50-50 thing. It's like, you know, if, if you flip a coin six times in a row and it always comes up heads, then you win. That's the position they were in in the Supreme Court, where there are, all you got to do is lose on one of those, and they lose the whole case. So I, I think it's, however the court comes out exactly in the details, it'll be could be nine zero, might be uh, might be eight one, but you know, Justice Brennan used to tell his clerks the most important thing in the Supreme Court is this: you got to get to five, and they're not going to get past this at at best. Mm-hmm. Um, too many people think of the Supreme Court as just a political branch and they denigrate it and you know, say all these awful things. This thing showed the opposite because the justices who have their different philosophies were very much coming together in finding that this case was unsustainable one way or another. And I predict that they're like, all, also going to be near, unanimous or nearly unanimous on the next issue they're going to face about Trump which is if he appeals uh, the District of Columbia Court of Appeals ruling that as a former president he's not entitled to absolute immunity from crimes he may have perpetrated uh, when he was president. I think that's going to be another one where the court is going to say, no way, uh, you're, 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 not the, you're not immune uh, for all, the, all of your misdeeds. And, and again, it's going to be 9081 or something like that on that issue.
3: Marianne, what were you thinking today when you were listening to this? Um, first of all, I was absolutely fascinated by by the way the justices talk to each other. Um, this is not something that I've that I've paid a whole lot of attention to or watched very often or or listened to very often. So, so that was that was illuminating. I also was fascinated by some of the arguments, um, and the one that really stuck with me was the one that was made by the attorneys for the former president, uh, which had to do with. Whether or not uh, Article Three, um, which is what this whole thing is based on, of of, uh, of Amendment
2: 14,
3: 14. Thank you. <laughs> um, whether that applies to this situation, and if you if you don't use that, does the president have the uh, the former president have the opportunity to challenge some of the other restrictions on the presidency that are in the Constitution, like age, which the justices were a little a little bit well. You know, if you had somebody who was 34 years old, you have to be 35 to be president, and they're 34 at the time of the election, but 35 at the time of the swearing-in. You know, how does how does that work? That was one. The other was, um, would would you throw out the fact that the president has to be a U.S. citizen? I, that those were things I never thought of, and I thought I thought they were really fascinating. The one thing that troubled me was the participation of Clarence Thomas. He should he should have recused himself.
0: Mm. Because of, his, because wife's of his wife's
3: involvement in the insurrection and the lead-up to the insurrection, I thought it was completely inappropriate. But but he hasn't shown any sort of ethical uh, standards with regard to his wife's activities. So mm-hmm. that's what it is, Alton.
4: Well, a couple things. I was fascinated just as a word nerd, just hearing all the legalese and all the Latin and everything that got dropped. But I was really concentrating on the political aspects of this. So think about it in the context of where we are in the American body politic. You have a bunch of Republican and unaffiliated plaintiffs who, in the state level, sued a Democratic secretary of state whose views on this are well known. It goes up to the the U.S. Supreme Court, and now you've got the Democrats, who I think really are going to be hinging their, they're going to be hanging their hat on November, because it really looks to me like their strategy politically is going to be hoping for a conviction in one of these other lower court cases. But also keep in mind, because of where we are in the body politic, Trump supporters don't seem to care. They're like, okay, if he gets convicted, so he gets convicted. We still support this person. And so I'm looking at it through that political lens and then also remembering what happened in 2016, which was another time in our political history where we had a bit of a Hobson's choice, and we see how that turned out. So that's the part I'm going to be tracking over these next uh, few months.
0: And President Trump spoke moments after the court ended for the day. and. Uh, He spoke from Mar-a-Lago, and it really is a kind of a campaign thing for him now, all the attention he got.
2: David, let's start with you. Well, uh, yes, and the Democrats are pursuing a very cynical strategy regarding Trump because they're on the one hand, I think, accurately saying Donald Trump is the only Republican nominee that Joe Biden has a chance of beating. But the way we're going to run is to say Donald Trump is a threat to democracy. Well, if you think that, then you shouldn't try to get him to be the Republican nominee. But that's what, for example, Alvin Bragg, who is a highly, in my view, New York City district, New York uh, Manhattan district attorney, in my view, highly unethical and sleazy. Uh, I don't think he would make a move against Trump without approval from the White House. And so he brought this ridiculous case against Trump that says when you pay blackmail money to your mistress or your your ex Paramore or whatever. You're supposed to uh, pay that out of your campaign funds rather than out of your own pocket, and that's a violation, and supposedly that constitutes 34 different felonies. And it was exactly at that moment that Bragg did this ridiculous thing that DeSantis went from being basically tied with Trump in the Iowa polls to then this big rally round our persecuted innocent victim thing among the Republican base. A second flaw of what the Democrats have done is the Biden Department of Justice. The Jack Smith case that's being prosecuted, that's, that's the, the serious case against Trump uh, for his involvement in January 6th in federal courts in Washington, D.C. They threw the book at him in all kinds of charges, legitimately so, I think, at least plausibly, but they left out charging him with violating the Insurrection Act. And that's the whole thing. If they could bring a case under the Insurrection Act, and win a conviction, then by that act, which helps carry out the 14th Amendment, Section 3, Trump would automatically be disqualified from office. That's all they'd have to do, win one criminal case in one court, and they didn't do it. So instead, we have this mess of trying to jerry-rig Colorado's system and all this uh, into getting off Trump. Getting Trump off the ballot by the back door when they should have done it by the front door with a case that was that started in 2021 and not so late uh, that it won't even be decided before the election.
0: So late, and of course his name is on the ballot. It's already yes. gone yeah. to overseas. So, and three and a half weeks away, it's
3: pretty close. Marianne, I, one of the things that sort of fascinates me, and I and I agree with with the comments that. Um, this, the U.S. Supreme Court, at least, is highly unlikely to, to rule in favor of Colorado on this. I just, based on what came from the justices on Thursday, uh, it just seems highly, highly unlikely that Colorado is going to win on this. The, uh, to, to Dave's point about about Jack Smith, I think the biggest mis- one of the biggest mistakes that was made by the Department of Justice and by Merrick Garland was how long they waited to actually start working on this. They waited. Uh, a year more than they, than they had to, and had they started off a little bit sooner, had Merrick Garland pulled Jack Smith in a year sooner, I think they could have taken a, a better look at the 14th Amendment um, issues and to look at other people who probably should have been included in these insurrection charges that, that we may never, never get to, and and, that's, and that to me is really, really frustrating. Um, I've been reading Liz Cheney's book, which, by the way, is absolutely wonderful. I recommend it to everybody. And the more I read it, the more horrified I am by the situation that we're in right now. Okay. Well...
4: Yeah, well, Marianne, you ain't seen nothing yet. So, yeah. <laughs> I've been around politics my whole life, and I can say this as someone who's been a member of both parties, no one does panic like the Democratic Party. And the reason that is happening is because, like I mentioned before, there's a cadre of Trump supporters who are okay with everything from the xenophobia to the isolationism to being a sexual predator and everything else. They don't care. This is where we are as a society, and that's why I always hearken back to the term, we get the uh, government we deserve. The other thing that is also a big cause for concern is a lot of the messaging from 2016 is now resonating with a different demographic. In 2016, the messaging was geared towards the Rust Belt and maybe the less educated parts of our society, but now there are younger people starting to say, hey, this person speaks his mind. Where have you heard that before? 2016, getting inroads with black voters, getting inroads with younger voters because of like say how Biden is handling the Israeli Hamas issue. So, you know, this thing that also I've seen floating around the media about potential for a constitutional crisis if somehow Trump gets reelected and then these things follow up, then just like we were in Bush v. Gore, we could be sitting around for two, three months wondering who our president is. Oh,
1: oh, don't say that. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Patty. Well, in some ways, the direction they took today when they didn't get into the insurrection much at all and focused more on just the nuances of does Congress have to get in, can a state really dictate this, it's almost a bullet dodge because you know if by any weird happenstance the Supreme Court agreed with the Colorado Supreme Court then we would have a run up to the election that would be so grim with people again talking about rigged elections, everything else. It's not like Colorado's votes would have made that much difference anyway. This is not a Trump state yet and maybe Alton's a little more discouraged than I am but I don't think it would be. The votes wouldn't be there, it wouldn't make that much difference. But what is gonna make a difference is will we still hear the rigged election? Will we still hear the threats against election workers? We are heading into such an ugly period again and it's going to be ugly enough before November and then if it isn't decided it's going to be even worse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I find it interesting you think that Colorado looks good today
0: or yesterday with the with the with the end of the hearings, we all agree that Colorado is not going to be the winner but you
1: think it shows that we're independent and we're independent thinkers. Well, you think we're the first state admitted to the union after the amend- amendment 14 was ratified. We came in you know, against slavery. We came at first state to actually give women the vote. We've, we can get into marijuana too, but we've always been fairly libertarian thinking our mind. I don't think it looks bad that we had these six people go forward. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, and those are, uh, you know, I agree with your points about how it makes Colorado look and Colorado's independence, but I also, as someone who's worked in elections administration, wholeheartedly, you know, concur with your concern that that's going to be part of the proactive Mm -hmm. strategy. The 2024 election is already being called into question, and so by the time we get to November, that same drumbeat, of what's rigged, et cetera, et cetera. And then one of the things that I did this past week was checked in with some of my former colleagues in case this case went the other way. And it's like, well, what happens to the votes if somehow someone does get removed from the ballot? And what happens is they are not like removed from the tally because that would get the elections are rigged people all, you know, flustered up. But what it does do, it would appear as undervotes. And so there's no way of knowing if that is a vote for someone removed from a ballot versus simple undervote where that race was skipped.
2: Okay. There's an alternate universe, by the way, where Trump after the vote counting was completed, graciously conceded his loss in November 2020. And if he'd done that, that, he would be cruising to a landslide win over Joe Biden right now. Mm -hmm. But that's Trump ever admitting that he ever loses anything or makes a mistake. If he could do that, he wouldn't be Trump.
0: Thanks for the discussion. I know you'll probably, our, our minds are all spinning. But let's talk about, our Colorado legislature, shall we, where there was a bumpy start to the week, um, which this week did see some new bills being discussed on all sorts of different issues. Um, First though, Marianne, you were there on Monday um, when-talk about the delegation of Israelis whose loved ones, um, you know, were taken hostage by Hamas in October they weren't allowed to go into the House floor. They came thinking
3: they were going to be. And that was certainly our understanding on Sunday night. We had gotten a press release from uh, Representative Ron Weinberg, who was sort of the uh, one of the sponsors of their visit, along with Senator Daphne, Michaels, and Janae in the State Senate. And Sunday night, he says, they're gonna be on the floor of the House and the Senate, and then about 30 minutes before the um, he got to the Capitol, he gets a phone call from McCluskey, the Speaker of the House, that says, I'm sorry, but your event isn't going to take place. And I, do, I don't know how to read this as anything other than them being denied access to the House floor. Um, what happened after that, um, they did meet in the west foyer of the Capitol. I did get to meet some of these families. There were six of them, some who have lost family members to Hamas, some who, whose family members are still being held hostage by Hamas. As lo- along with some Israeli officials. These, these aren't people from Colorado. They came here from Israel. And so once the event on the House floor was canceled, um, the Senate did, in fact, hold a um, an event for them. They came in. Um, Weinberg and uh, Daphne Michelson-Janae both spoke. And then they had a receiving line, which is fairly common in this. And almost the entire House Republican caucus was there and a handful or so of House Democrats. Um, the speaker never announced that this was going to happen from the uh, speaker's podium and has insisted that this was an informal session and, and that she's sorry people didn't know about it. Well, they didn't know about it because she didn't tell them. And she has taken a lot of, a lot of heat from this uh, and, and frankly deservedly so because this was a, this was a bad move by her. Mm-hmm.
0: Alton, what have you been watching
4: this week? Well, I've been watching that, of course, because you know, there's also been this attempt to try to thread the needle and make it some kind of a civics lesson. And let's just call it what it is. The speaker who has trouble corralling her caucus was worried about that Leftist wing causing some kind of commotion. Let's just go ahead and be honest about that. The other thing that I've been watching is this issue with the taxation when it comes to the short term rentals. You know, back to Patty's point about Colorado's independence and libertarian streak, I always like to joke that it was New Hampshire who beat us to live free or die as a state motto because our history of taxes at the state level versus how you drill it down to some municipal level like Denver, where where you know, 90% of tax measures seem to pass every year. That's gonna be something fascinating. Then also you saw Jesse Paul's uh, reporting a couple of weeks ago on uh, construction defects, which is going to be another, let's give it another whirl, because the first time around we tried to, do it in a certain way and we got over a little bit of a hump there but then the insurance companies started pushing back saying we're still not going to insure anybody and so this is plays a big role in our governor's affordable housing ideas and um it's a little bit of a help i don't know how much is going to help but i'll be interested to see if this one passes right
1: yeah I, i agree patty well, and we're about to get the property tax bills, which oh, is going to have thanks, everyone Patty. screaming. <laughs> and we'll see how much the legislature tries to do anything about that. But it is going to be a grim week. I think that comes out next week. Mm-hmm. The short-term rental issue is fascinating because it doesn't really affect Denver. Because in Denver, you still aren't, aren't supposed to use, um, have a, a secondary property that you use as an Airbnb. It's supposed to be your primary property. But this one, you've got in Steamboat, in some other big ski towns, you have hotels that are turning into short-term Airbnbs, but they're not billed as commercial, the property tax. We all remember how much more commercial pays in property tax, so Chris Hansen has pulled back on this. He's got amendments coming in, so the people who went to complain Probably most of them won't be affected by this. But you would like people who are trying to evade some of the fair property tax issues in the state have to pay their way because Lord knows everybody else is going to be paying plenty. Did a lot of people show up from the high country uh, to, to um, rally against this?
0: I didn't hear that many from yeah, the high country. No, no, okay. David.
2: Well, to defend Speaker McCluskey as okay. a pragmatic matter, Marion's of course right. She, she obviously lied her statement is completely implausible that oh, the reason she wouldn't allow the families of the Israeli kidnap and torture victims to be on the House was she was afraid about bad behavior from both sides. Obviously not true. The Republicans behaved in, that, in the legislature on that issue with, with perfect uh, decorum. But she has the problem of within her caucus there is a sp- sub-caucus that's pro-Hamas. And she was worried about what they would say. And so she, in a way, uh, martyred herself for the good of the party, got a lot of bad stories about her this week. But by doing that, she prevented people like Tim Hernandez and Elizabeth Epps from, once the Israelis had arrived, expressing what have, might well have been uh, their outrage at these settler colonialist, white supremacist, blah, 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 all this nonsense. Uh, but stuff that they sincerely believe. And that would have hurt the party more uh, to unleash Hernandez, Epps, et cetera, at the the microphone uh, counter-attacking against the Israelis. Okay. Last weekend, Colorado
0: Springs Mayor Yemi Mobilati wrote in the Colorado Springs Gazette, And he said that his city is not a sanctuary city and that Colorado Springs prioritizes the safety quality of life and interests of its residents. Meanwhile, in Denver, department heads are being told to cut their budgets, which will affect life in Denver for residents in order to pay for the massive influx of migrants. Alton, let me start with you.
4: Yeah, a couple things. You're hearing both from the governmental side and also from the advocate side, Denver is full. And I don't know how many people saw it, but uh, Mayor Johnston, after our do nothing Congress did nothing on the issue, took to social media with a very strong statement because the lack of action at the federal level is going to have a huge downstream effect on Denver. And Denver is a destination city. People can argue the sanctuary city, you know, terminology, that's another needle that gets threaded pretty often. But, you know, there are people who interpret that if you say that, hey, my jurisdiction is not going to proactively cooperate with ICE, to some people, that is tantamount to a sanctuary city. And I also find the Colorado Springs, you know, mayors, Comments interesting because I think he is also an immigrant. And so I'm going to be sort of really keeping an eye out on how the Johnson administration is going to deal with the uh, cuts you mentioned. Because, you know, Denver has robust reserves, but you also have to keep those reserves in place for things like if we have another huge pandemic or if we get another bomb cyclone you know, the uh, spigot does get turned off even in a fairly liberal and spendy city like Denver that tries to provide good services for its residents. Mm
1: -hmm. I think a lot of people are starting to think, oh, what's gonna happen? What's life gonna be like? What what, what kind of cuts are we talking about? Well, I think everyone's thinking that both Mm -hmm. in and outside of Denver. If I were Mayor Johnston, I would get a lot of buses ready to send people to Colorado Springs because you know we're already offering bus tickets to other cities because usually where migrants want to go, but maybe they would love Colorado Springs. One of the issues with the sanctuary city is it is, as Alton says, the definition is very vague. Mostly it's you're not reporting people to ICE. Well, ICE isn't doing anything anyway, as far as we can tell. It's not like you are promising a cot and three hots a day if you're a sanctuary city. In general, you're just saying you're a welcoming city that recognizes that this is a country built on immigrants, based on immigration, on uh, welcoming people from other lands who are facing horrible things. So I think we can remove some of the sanctuary city issues and just say, what are we gonna do? If people are here, what choice do you have? I don't think most of them are coming because it's a sanctuary city. They're coming because Texas is sending them here. David.
2: Let's look at the numbers. Denver is now expecting to be spending $180 million a year on this, which is going to lead to cuts everywhere else in the things that Denver is supposed to provide for its lawful residents. There are about 38,000 migrants um, in Denver at, at the moment. Under President Biden, the number of illegal immigrants in this country was about 10 million on the day he took office. He's doubled that, 10 million more which is affecting everybody across this country by his choice not to enforce the existing immigration laws everybody says we need a federal solution the federal solution is one man and joe biden could go back to enforcing the immigration laws that exist on the books right now and by the way maybe this will be the last show of cio ever where the word migrant is used because Colorado Public Radio has now announced that's another new word on the politically incorrect list. You're supposed to say new immigrants, which seems very similar, you know, and th- those are equally fine descriptive words, I- except that new immigrants is, is deliberately false. Uh, people like the mayor of Colorado Springs, the l- wonderful immigrants who come to this country legally are new immigrants. The people we're talking about Many of them are in this country unlawfully and may eventually be legally removed from that. So they're not new immigrants uh, here. And uh, I wish the CPR was more concerned with the, with the facts uh, than with language policing.
3: Um, what I'm watching right now, and this this started to surface this week at the state capitol, is the impact on the state budget. And And while the state does not have a huge role in dealing with this migrant um crisis, uh, we are starting to see some numbers that are coming out and and some conversation about where this is hitting state agencies. And the two that I've seen so far are public safety and education. And uh, Colorado Public Radio, to to follow up on Dave there, uh, had a a piece uh, this week on talking to uh, some kids up at Centaurus High School in Lafayette. They have 35 migrants up at Centaurus alone uh, kids who are going to school up there. And the Department of Education, it was actually supposed to have its budget reduced a little bit, partially because of lower enrollment. Well, guess what? Uh, not th- that enrollment; Those enrollment numbers are going up, not down. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, now it is time for us to have our panel share some of the highs and lows
1: of this week with all of us. We're gonna start with a low point so we can end on a positive note, Patty. I have to play off David for one second. Actually, it's only half of the migrants have stayed here. New immigrants, sorry. Okay. So it's now <laughs> 19,000. But you can tell CPR is mostly radio because new immigrants is really a long thing for a headline. Just, and just, it's like the city wanting us to get rid of sweeps for something also very long. But I'll have to congratulate Lauren Boebert for having the excellent idea of alligators guarding the border, southern border. And if you want to stay with Lauren Boebert, the show going on over the restraining orders with her ex-husband, who did not show on Thursday.
0: Mm,
2: Okay, David? To to follow up on reptiles and related issues, uh, State Representative Regina English introduced a bill that would say, to create a pet tax. So if you have an aquarium with 50 fish, you would have to pay over $400 in taxes annually to register your fish with the government. And by the way, you have to give each fish a name in order to register it.
0: it sounds absurd.
2: And, and she, with, she later said she wasn't going to pursue the bill, and she said, I'm sorry, I, I didn't read the bill. If you don't read your it was written by a lobbyist, if you don't read your own bill, you shouldn't be in the legislature. Obviously, she's not reading the other bills she's voting on by other legislators. She's too lazy and irresponsible to serve in the legislature, and she should resign.
3: Oh, okay. My goodness. Um, This isn't something that made me mad, but it comes from the heading of things that you just can't make up. Uh, This is a story that ran in Colorado Politics on Thursday. Uh, State GOP party chair Dave Williams has railed against Dominion voting systems for the last three plus years including and particularly in El Paso County in which he has been elected to uh, the state legislature a number of times using Dominion voting systems. Well, uh, he recently reached out to El Paso County and said, um, our state assembly's coming up and what would it, what can, is there a possibility that we could use your tabulation machine, i.e. Dominion, uh, to count the ballots for the state assembly? And uh, there was a very interesting conversation that went on between him and uh, the clerk and recorder for El Paso County, uh, at which at one point said, well, we're happy to set you up with Dominion because you're going to need to sign a contract with them in order to get permission to use their machines. Uh, That was the end of the conversation. But uh, according to the clerk, uh, they also uh, were pursuing a conversation with Elbert County. And guess what machine they use? They use Dominion, too. Uh, my understanding is that they have uh, decided to go use maybe something like a Scantron machine, which we all uh, had in high school for our counting test results.
4: (sighs) My disappointment is, uh, once again, the black community is out here politically getting caught playing checkers instead of chess. So our big wedge issue, menthol cigarettes. Really. So, think about this. There's all this heat is being put on the FDA and President Biden because of their not enforcing the menthol ban and that has really created a wedge and they talk about well how will that disproportionately affect the community we're disproportionately dying because of menthol cigarettes and flavored cigars I was in Winter Park for the Jazz Festival. That's the time the state demographer comes out because there's 30,000 black people in Winter Park. And one of the store clerks was saying, you can tell the Winter Park Jazz Festival's in town because that's the only time that we sell out of Cool's and Swisher Sweets.
1: Wow. Okay. (laughs) Something positive. I'm going to say something nice about Doug Bruce because I never have before, but... District 5 and Dave Williams deserves him. He should run. He's toying with it. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be be, great for us? It would be something.
2: The University of Colorado women's basketball team, a record of 19 wins, 3 losses, currently ranked number 4 nationally. It's awesome.
3: Go Buffs. I wanted to express some condolences to the families and friends of uh, former Senator Keith King who passed away last Saturday after a long illness. He was an absolute titan on the issue of education policy and who I've heard from the most are Democrats who loved serving with him and just thought that he was an absolutely amazing uh, lawmaker and he will truly be missed. And one other thing, I want to say a big thank you to the folks at M.D. Payne and Dr. Christopher Hooser. Uh, who did surgery on me two weeks ago on my back, man, I'm telling you, I'm living my best life right now. And after two weeks, that is
0: awesome. I'm so happy for you.
4: Very good, and Dave Mines, basketball related to, the team that I'm an assistant coach for, the Far Northeast Warriors off to an 0 20 start but the kids are still sticking together they are playing with pride they're playing hard and I'm just so proud of each and every one of them from our 6'4 down to our 5-3 point guard. Five
0: three. Oh that's good and you've had fun coaching them this season. I have a lot of fun. That is that's so good. Awesome. Okay so my pause this week is here the pocket constitution. Right. We learned in an interview this week that former state Republican lawmaker Norma Anderson carries one of these in her purse every day and has for years. Uh, Of course, Norma Anderson, Anderson versus Trump, which we've been talking about in the show. I found this one in my daughter's desk. She studied the Constitution High School. This is one of those things when you move away to college, she's like, don't throw away my pocket Constitution. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you can see the highlights. She worked through this thing. However, as I'm looking through it, I get to the article that we've been talking about, there's no highlights because people probably never thought this was going to be a topic of conversation, right? You can get one of these at any bookstore or online, or you can always print out your own version right now by going to the National Archives website, the Pocket Constitution. I think we've had a lesson this week and maybe hopefully spurt some more curiosity as to what this country is all about. Thank you, panelists. Thank you for watching this week or for listening to our podcast. We will see you next week here on PBS 12.